When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels, and I am super excited about our journeyman quarterback of the week. We will get to that in just a bit, but let's start out with a guy who is just beginning his career sage in Josh Rosen. And I will tell you that leading up to the NFL draft, Josh Rosen was my favorite quarterback to watch his college film. I didn't think he had a very good team, but he looked like the guy that was most ready to step into the NFL. What did you see when he was going through that draft process in Josh Rosen? Well, from what I saw is just the ball comes out of his hand really nicely. He's got a really fluid throwing motion, and uh, he's a very accurate thrower. Uh, he's you know, really probably the most natural thrower, you know, of this draft. And so he doesn't have the the huge, huge arm of Josh Allen or that crazy athleticism. Uh, he doesn't create and move around and make plays uh, like like Baker Mayfield. But as a guy who you think is going to be a consistent quarterback for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I think Josh Rosen's going to be a good player. So we'll have to see. It's obviously very early in his career. I believe he had his first start last week or two weeks ago. So he's just starting uh, his career and he played really well. So he, he moves around a little bit in the pocket here and there, but really he's just a, your sort of classic, accurate, traditional pocket passer. What did you make of some of the criticisms of him in the draft? Because I thought a lot of them seemed preposterous. Just he's too smart. Like what? <laughs> at this, at this position? Yeah, he's he's an independent thinker, you know, like he actually thinks about things other than football. You know, some of that stuff may have been put out by other agents uh, of, you know, the other quarterbacks that try to, you know, knock him down the draft. But, you know, I I think that was nonsense. I I do think he went a little bit lower than the other guys just because he's not as sort of supremely talented. There's not this massive upside, you know, that you see with him. It's why Drew Brees fell in the draft. You didn't Mm -hmm. see that huge upside. You know, with him, the, you know, these 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 uh, these checks where you can you know check these different boxes on does he have this this and this and this. There, there's things that he obviously misses. It's you know top end athleticism, uh, you know huge arm, you know all those things he does not have, and obviously you know too smart. I guess that 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 could be a new thing. But uh, <laughs> I, I like I like who he is as as a leader. Uh, I like that he sort of speaks his mind. Uh, his life is more than football. 
uh, yeah, so he, I think he's going to be a good player. I think it really does help that he is in uh, Arizona in that division. Uh, you know, he's from California originally, uh, so it sort of makes sense that he'd be, uh, you know, still in the West Coast playing in a dome. So when you're working with young quarterbacks and you're talking to them about the mental makeup and the leadership and all those sorts of things, like what what do you tell them about trying to make it and be the best leader they can be and, and stuff like that? I imagine you don't say don't be too smart, but but there there yeah. has to be some smoke there with with him that maybe he matured into, but there is got to be some reason why those things were brought up. I think it's because he, you know, would occasionally say something that quarterbacks don't talk about. He would, you know, bring other aspects of the world, I think, into sort of the conversation. Certainly, you know, Aaron Rodgers does the same thing. Uh, he gets criticized for that too. So I think it was just more that he's, you know, he grew up with an, an affluent family. Uh, you know, a lot, very rarely do kids grow up rich that play in the NFL. Uh, just sort of the way it goes. And, and he did grow up fairly rich. So I think people thought there might be uh, a lack of motivation you know, almost desperation for him to become a great player because if it doesn't work out, he'll still be just fine, uh, you know, with his inheritance or something like that. So I, I think people are just, you know, searching for straws, uh, grabbing at straws and, and looking for, for issues with them. But at the end of the day, you know, we shall see. And, uh, we'll, you know, we shall see if he's a good quarterback. But as far as leadership is concerned, um, I think I always, you know, sort of preach – uh, the, you know, you have to be the hardest worker in the room and those types of things, which is fine. But, you know, as a quarterback, you're always on. Like, it's just, you're, you're, it's like a, it's like part of your character. You're just always a quarterback. You're a quarterback and wake up at 6.30 in the morning and you're a quarterback and you go to bed and you're a quarterback. Everything in between, it's not just what you do at the football facility or what you do in the practice field or in the games. You sort of have to be a quarterback all the time, which, you know, to much is given, much is expected. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he's one of those types of guys that'll do the Cardinals right. Uh, on and off the field. So when we look at what Josh Rosen is facing here in the Vikings defense and what he has to work with on offense, uh, Larry Fitzgerald is still good. Christian Kirk looks like he's pretty good. David Johnson has a lot of talent. Their offensive line is starting Andre Smith at right tackle. And that just tells you everything about where their offensive line is. As a rookie quarterback, not given a throne of gold to work with. Because sometimes you see that. You know, a rookie quarterback comes in and he's got a great team to step right into and then can have success fairly quickly. That's not going to be the case for Josh Rosen. What, what do you think is, is sort of the biggest challenge facing him when he doesn't exactly have weapons all over the field? Yeah, that's the difference is that, you know, every quarterback that comes onto a new team, they're all put in different situations. You know, the Buffalo situation is one thing, the Cleveland situation is another. Uh, you know, when, when Ben Roethlisberger came in, came into the league, uh, you know, he was on one of the best teams in football right off the bat. And, and, you know, usually quarterbacks end up on really bad football teams because they have, you know, high draft picks. So this Arizona team is not the best Arizona team since Larry Fitzgerald's been there. It's probably one of the weaker teams. Uh, they've had, uh, you know, various, uh, defenses in the past that were really good. I think this one's pretty average. The offensive line's a huge concern. We, we talk about offensive line all the time. You know, that they, they, any team can have weapons on the outside or a running back, David Johnson. Uh, but if you don't have an offensive line, uh, it's hard to, you know, to operate and, and to, to do all the things that you want to do. You can drop all these great plays on Monday and Tuesday as an offensive coordinator, but if you can't pass protect, you can't run the football, all those pay, all those plays are sort of worthless. How does it uh, impact a rookie differently than someone who's been around when they don't have a good offensive line? 
Well, you, you, what you hope is that uh, it doesn't impact them negatively, like long term. You know, everyone points to you know, David Carr, and and you start seeing ghosts when you're out there because you've been hit so many times. Mm-hmm. You start looking down at the rush. Uh, you know, I think it's just it's quarterback to quarterback, and it, there, there's an aspect of it too where you put a young guy out there, and the team's not very good, or the line's not very good, and he gets beat up, but he sort of earns the respect of the uh, you know, of, of his, of his teammates. And so there's an aspect there too, where it's okay sometimes to have a quarterback go out there to get his butt kicked a little bit. So, you know, he sort of gets knocked off his high horse and, uh, you know, long term in his career, uh, you know, that type of toughness and greatness will, will help him. Let's, uh, let me, let me switch over something I've been thinking about. And I was watching some film on last night about the Kirk Cousins and cause, you know, the pressure is going to be still a big deal here. Arizona doesn't have some unbelievable defense, but Chandler Jones is one of the best players at his position. And based on the rest of the season, you can guarantee he's going to find himself in front of Kirk Cousins at some point, right? So what they did against Philly was they used a lot of these quick screens and, and quick passes and had success with them. Uh, what did you see from that? And what does it take to execute the, especially when it comes to using Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver screens and quick passes? Well, it's, a, it's, people don't realize the timing of it uh, is extremely important and, and the way the offensive line gets out and the timing with the back, you know, all, all screens have different sort of timing uh levels to them you know those quick wide receiver screens you see those guards and tackles uh and by the way they they have exact rules on who they're supposed to be blocking they're not just sort of running out there Mm -hmm. and and blocking anybody they actually have you've got number one you've got the alley you've got this guy uh it's 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 very it's much more schematic than people realize um but uh uh you know the timing you know a, a tight end screens where they block 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 and then they screen a lot of times that's like a three second timing uh, a running back screen a lot of times a two second timing the wide receiver screens are really just a jab and go for that offensive line and then, then they got to get out so you know all screens are differently but the timing uh amongst the between the, the quarterback the back and the offensive line uh, you know takes a lot of practice and the vikings are are, are very very good at it do you think it's sustainable because that's the thing i'm kind of looking at for an article is just like these plays have worked pretty well for them and they worked against Philly, but there's also a play in the Philly game where Malcolm Jenkins easily sniffs one out. I mean, he sees the, the action from Cousins and you see his head snap around immediately when he sees it and just runs right at Stefan Diggs and ends up making the tackle. And I wonder if Arizona has watched that on tape, how well they've executed those quick screens that that's ultimately going to get taken away. Well, yeah, that's the thing is you throw a lot of wide receiver screens. The, the D line doesn't rush as hard. Uh, so they're not up the back, you know, up in the backfield. And so they don't have to then, you know, change direction, run back and try to make the tackle and then chase people down from behind. So, uh, sometimes those re- receiver screens actually help the pass rush. So when you do drop back, uh, they're a little bit worried about those, those wide receiver screens or running back screens. And so, the, you know, we, we talked about this last week, I believe. And, and, you know, with the Vikings offensive line struggling a little bit. Uh, in pass protection, is this something they're going to go to a lot, just like they did in 2016 when they felt they really couldn't run the ball well, they couldn't pass protect well. So you still got to get the ball to your weapons, and obviously you want to try to get the ball to Stephon Diggs as much as possible, and he's such a playmaker, and one of those ways is wide receiver screens. Did I ask you this? I'm sorry if I asked you this already, but how are teams going to adjust to Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, or are they ever? I mean, maybe they're just too good because there have been teams throughout history – Gary Clark and Art Bunk, where nobody could ever figure out how to adapt to them, or uh, Keenan McCardle and Jimmy Smith, they were just too good. And I'm, I guess, 
Always fascinated by how defensive coordinators try to solve offenses, and we're seeing teams scrambling all across the league to slow down some of the things now. I'm just wondering if eventually there are teams who find ways to force them to throw Treadwell the ball. Yeah, and that's the, that's the reason that the Vikings are, are one of the few teams who truly have sort of like two ones, uh, you know, amongst their wide receivers. A lot of teams have a one, but then they're looking for that number two that's dangerous enough to keep a, a defense honest. And the Vikings have two of those guys, and they have different skill sets. You know, Adam Thielen's not a burner. Uh, Stephon Diggs does seem like he has a, he's a guy who's got you know, obviously a lot of burst in, in his motor. So uh, yeah, it's really, really important for, for offense to have two guys because then, sort of, as I said, sort of keeps the defense honest and uh, they, they can't really double team anybody. So the other ask, the other, uh, um, uh, you know, defensively, the other thing you can do is play a lot of cover two, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of double teaming the wide receivers on the outside. Uh, but then, yeah, then you have that one on one matchup with that nickel linebacker on the inside and and then if you you know say move a stefan Diggs inside and you change your coverage uh to be more you know double in the inside guy then you'd have treadball one-on-one on the outside so there's different things defenses can do uh and that's that's the importance of having that third wide receiver that's why it's so valuable yeah i guess i was thinking about like if if i'm playing this team uh, it, it's kind of like basketball where you go in saying, you know what, we're not going to let LeBron beat us. And then LeBron usually beats you because there's just nothing you can do. And in this case, with those two, because they're so dynamic, because they could do so many things, you could say we're not going to let those two beat us. But ultimately, that's probably going to happen anyway. I'm just always surprised when I see teams play a single high safety in certain situations. And I'm sitting there in the press box thinking, okay, well, whichever way that safety goes, the ball's going the opposite way to whoever is one-on-one, and they can win all those matchups. Yeah, but there's you know the different things where um, you know if you want to throw a lot of go routes, let's just say because the team is is you know waiting the safety on the left side of the field, and you want to throw go outs to the right side. A lot of times, the safeties in the corner sort of have that dialed up where the corner will play extra soft uh, and sort of bail. So if there's going to be a go route, basically, it's just going to be a straight up jump ball he's not gonna have his back turned to the deep turned to the offense and mm-hmm. and uh, it'll be an easy interception so a lot of times those guys are are on the same page of which way is the safety going to lean uh and then the corner the corner sort of plays uh uh you know defensively he plays that you know according to that plan so there's you know a lot of different aspects of how these guys work together and try to take away a team's best best offensive player. That's It's always interesting on a week-to-week basis and I, and I feel like Philadelphia wanted to just hit Kirk Cousins as much as they can and try to throw him off. But uh, even when he wasn't perfectly accurate to either one of those guys, they were still able to bring it in. Um, it really is incredible, by the way, how often Cousins uh, throws the ball from really like not hitching into his throw, just sort of flat-footed. He's got such a strong arm. That's a, you know, that's a thing that I see more and more, it seems like, in these games, especially when they have all this pressure, is that he sort of throws the ball, what I call from a phone booth, where he doesn't have any sort of room to step forward he just has to sort of twist in the pocket, uh, but he's got such a strong arm, he can make those throws happen. It is impressive. I mean, when, when you look at how far and how fast the ball has to go for him, and then I guess maybe I was just watching a lot of Case Keenum last year, but the, the throws, the velocity that he gets behind it, even in the tough situations, you know, I, I feel like, especially with the fact that he knows he can't get murdered by the defensive player, it's going to be 15 yards that that helps him so much just wait till the very last second and be able to make those throws. Yeah, he doesn't, man, he doesn't mind holding on the football, that's for sure. It's not a 
kind of a hot potato in, in his arms, you know, and, and what, you know, we'll see as the season progresses, if, if that continues, as he gets, takes a lot of hits and, and you'll, you'll, we'll see if the John D. Filippo doesn't want him to take the, those hits and tries to get the ball out, you know, quicker and quicker. Well, as long as the uh, defensive player guides him to the ground politely, like Michael Bennett did yeah. the, every time, then uh, maybe he won't be too concerned. Um, I, you know, I was talking with, uh, or at least in press conference form with Cousins today, I was asking him about evaluating himself statistically because context matters a lot. I mean, you can, like you brought up Ben Roethlisberger, you go through his early stats and they're like, okay, this, these are not 5,000 yard seasons, but there's 14 wins and they were clearly getting ahead, running the ball. Same thing with Keenum last year, getting ahead a lot, running the ball, not trying to throw for four or 5,000 yards. Well, Cousins so far has had to do that, so it kind of makes it difficult to evaluate a guy just based on those numbers, and he was talking about trying to look at different things to contextualize things and maybe even check himself if he thinks something's a problem to use numbers that way. How did you use the stats in your preparation and even self-evaluation? I tried not to worry too much about, you know, my statistics or, or, you know, what I was, uh, I don't know. I just, that was never really a stats guy. I, I think there was times where I, you know, knew I wanted to have a higher completion percentage. And so, you know, as, as I was told my rookie year, you can't go broke taking a profit. Uh, so that was always a really important thing for me. And I threw at a really low completion percentage of college, like 51, 52%. So when I got into the NFL, you know, the best way to stay around is to complete passes, let those athletes, you know, sort of do their thing. But I tried not to get worried about, you know, if I threw for 150 yards and we won the football game, I did my job. That's the way I always looked at it. And there's other games you got to throw for 300 yards and everything just sort of game to game. So, um, you know, stats a lot of times are, you know, sort of a big liar in a lot of ways. You, you see guys uh, who's, you know, whose teams are behind by two touchdowns. They put up great stats in the fourth quarter and looks mm-hmm. like they had, you know, they threw for 350 yards, but, you know, they really played crappy and, and missed some key third downs early in the football game, uh, which caused them to get behind. So I tried to worry about stats too much. Um, I, I think that's just one of the things that fans can point to and, and, and media people can point to because they don't really understand all the complexities uh, you know, of football in the NFL game. It's hard to see when you're just watching a game. Yeah, you know, with those, sometimes it, this is what I've found in my own studying of quarterbacks is that you can paint yourself a better picture by removing as much noise as you possibly can. So just a, an example would be like Teddy Bridgewater. He only throws 14 touchdowns, and everyone reminded uh, him constantly of that on Twitter. Like, oh, he's only 14 touchdowns, can't be a franchise quarterback. Well, you know, you look a little closer, and they ran Adrian Peterson every time they got into the red zone. And there were a lot of times they were up in games where he opted to settle for a field goal that put them up two scores as opposed to taking any risks to get more yards. But when he was needed on third down and longs, especially, he was averaging one of the best yards per attempt in the league. And that's where I think if you look at some of those situations, especially on third downs, that you can get a clearer picture of who the best quarterbacks really are. Yeah, it's all about those key situations. And, you know, Gary Kubiak used to talk about, uh, you know, first and second down, you're really just managing the game. Third down is why quarterbacks get paid. Uh, your job is to execute uh, and to make things happen on third down. That's the most important down. That's sort of all in the quarterback. Uh, and, you know, first and second down is sort of like don't screw it up. And so, yeah, not not all completions are equal. But if you just look at the stats and you say, oh, the guy went 25 of 35, he had a really good game. But, you know, if those 10 completions were – key third downs or, or just, you know, key misses in the game, maybe wide open touchdowns, 
you'd have to say the guy had it may have may have had a terrible game. And something that's really interesting with Kirk Cousins specifically is that he has variations of these, I guess, which which wouldn't surprise anyone of where sometimes he's been much better on third downs than others. But one area where he has seemed to struggle and the Vikings are not doing great this year so far, their 18th in touchdown percentage is in the red zone. And I wonder if it's a which he, he made a fantastic throw to Adam Thielen in the red zone. Uh, last game so it's not that he's incapable it's just throughout his career there have been mostly downs with him in the red zone and I wonder what the explanation for that might be like could it just be a a small sample size type of thing that there's not a million trips that you make to the red zone or if there's something that he should be doing better well you know I'm not sure I, I think a lot of times with Washington you know they were behind a lot of times and so mm-hmm. he was always being I, I always thought he was trying, having to be overly aggressive and that's one of my concerns uh, with the Vikings so far this year is he's had to be a really aggressive quarterback and when they signed him I was hoping that wasn't the case that he wasn't going to have to be this guy to throw the ball 45 or even 50 times a game well they've done that already this year so mm-hmm. uh yeah I think that's was part of the issue in the past was he was having to be really really aggressive uh, just because Washington is behind all the time. So how are you feeling about this team now? Are you feeling like, okay, uh, a lot of things are fixed, that uh, they're in good shape, that they showed you something in Philly, that even though there were stretches where they didn't play perfectly, that, oh, well, right? You take that win any way you can get it, and then the confidence is back within the locker room, and here they go on their way. Or is this another one where Vikings fans should go into it against Arizona and say, hey, look, they just lost to Buffalo a couple weeks ago. So this is no game where you're just expected to roll over another team. No, I think, listen, I think the Vikings have a ways to go. They're they're not a finished product by any means. I think there's a process here with, with DiFilippo and, and Cousins as they you know really work to understand each other, work to understand this offense entirely. Uh, and, and truly mesh. The, the defense is not there yet. They were re- very imperfect in that game. They obviously got helped by a couple of those turnovers that were huge. I mean, those are basically 14 points in that football game, uh, you know, or even more than that. You're talking about, you know, one taking seven points off the board that would probably have been a touchdown on the fumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the interception, they were driving for at least a field goal, if not a touchdown. So you're talking about maybe almost 21 points in that game. Uh, which occurred on two, you know, two different, uh, you know, bad plays by, uh, you know, by the Eagles. And so the Eagles did not play well. That's my biggest concern, I guess, is, is the Eagles really played poorly. And like, and the Vikings played really well, but the Eagles also played very, very poorly. And, and, uh, it wasn't one of those games where two teams played really well. And the Vikings were just better than the world champions. Uh, the world champions beat themselves a little bit on Sunday. Yeah, no, I agree. And when I was looking back at the tape, there were a lot of plays that the Eagles were having success on the Vikings defense and they were moving the ball and they did rip off, you know, 20, 30 yard plays a number of times, which has been a bit of an Achilles heel for the Vikings. And, you know, there were a couple of drops. The running back drops one at the three yard line, which should have been a first down and goal. And that ends up being a field goal. So it was a lot of Philadelphia beating themselves. And I agree. The Vikings have a lot to prove. And in this second quarter of the season, was that a real thing? Or is that just a thing they say to us? Like, Hey, we look at it like quarters of the season, first quarter, second quarter. No, no, that's, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Okay. Yeah, that's a real thing. I mean, you you don't, uh, I mean, it's not something that you sit there and talk about all the time, but you sort of have, uh, you know, the first four games of the year, the middle four games, you, you get to the midway point, you sort of take a breather. It's like sort of like it's halftime. There's a lot, you know, that can occur in the second half. Most teams are still in the hunt 
you know, at that point. And then, you know, as, as they always say in football, you know, you have to finish. It's all about finishing, finishing drives, finishing games, finishing the play the right way. Uh, so when you get to that like fourth quarter of the season, you know, whatever's happened the, the first three quarters, let's finish the season the right way, whether that's to get in the playoffs or even if you're terrible, like let's just, you know, end the year on a good note, mm-hmm. try to get some momentum going into the next year. You know, we're all fighting for our jobs. And yeah, they, they really do break it up into to four game groups. A lot of times you'll sort of look at the schedule. Obviously you want to win them all, but there's times where, you know, Hey, if we can go three and one in the next four games, that puts us in, you know, great position to, to go to the playoffs. And so, yeah, football is very regimented. Uh, and organized that way, and that, that that is definitely a real thing when they talk about quarters, at least coaches do. Well, that's exactly how I'm looking at it now, is that the first part of the season was really tough, and now in this sort of second quarter, you have the Eagles where you get the win, and then you've got the Saints in this too, and they look pretty unstoppable, especially on offense right now. Their defense looked a hell of a lot better the other night against Washington, but you also got these couple of games in here that are very winnable, in Arizona and the New York Jets and it's it's one of those you have to take care of business and if you go three and one in this second quarter then you are in great shape for the rest of the season especially since the NFC North just isn't anywhere near as good as we thought it was going to be the the NFC North I actually think the NFC North has four good teams I I think that they're going to beat each other up and you know the winner is probably going to have 10 wins maybe 11 at the most uh, but I think they, have, they, they really do have four good football teams. Now, the, the NFC East uh, with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants. Four bad uh, you teams. Know, they, they, yeah, you know, I, think, I don't think the Eagles are a bad team. Uh, but yeah, they don't have four good teams. That's for dang sure. I mean, that, that conference or that division, I should say, uh, are being wildly, the entire division has a negative point differential. <laughs> uh, you know, they all have losing records right now, I believe. So, you know, that's a division that just has four not very good teams right now. I, again, I do think the Eagles are a really good football team. I think they're going to be there when it's all said and done, but uh, I, I think the NFC North is actually, you know, pretty loaded. Just no one's great, but I don't think anyone's terrible either. All right, let's let's do it here. This is an all-timer, like the definition of a journeyman quarterback. Show some respect. Salute. I travel every road in this It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. He had perhaps his greatest moment against the Minnesota Vikings as an Arizona Cardinal. Back in 2004, it is Josh McCown, which people who remember it led a game-winning drive against the Vikings to boot the Vikings out of the playoffs with a beautiful, brilliant throw into the end zone and a famous call by their play-by-play broadcaster, which people still go back on YouTube and watch. Um, So tell me your thoughts on one Josh McCown, our journeyman quarterback of the week. He is the excuse me. He is the epitome of you know quality journeyman backup. I mean, the guy's been everywhere, played for like nine teams. Let me look at it here: the Arizona Cardinals, Detroit, Oakland, Miami, Carolina, the Hartford Colonels. Yes, that uh, was San uh, Francisco what, 49ers. Was the Hartford? Uh, yeah, UFL? whatever they called it. The, the 49ers, the Bears, the Buccaneers, the Browns, and now the Jets. And I promise you, at each one of those places, he was well-liked by everybody in the organization, uh, players, coaches, everybody like, you know, that's a key to being a journeyman backup, be really likable. All right. He's also at that point now where, you know, at the end of the career, he has played off and on uh, and sometimes more than others had a, 
really good year a few years ago with the Jets. Uh, actually, well, last year with the Jets mm-hmm. had had a really solid year. Uh, but he's always sort of had that that spot on the roster where if they brought in somebody else, uh, it would be a clean and like fair and friendly competition, and he would be he's always been a team first guy. So uh, yeah, you know, Josh McCown is he's sort of the he might be the sort of the king of the journeyman backup quarterbacks. <laughs> yes, yes, he is like. I mean, I don't know whether to call him the goat journeyman quarterback, but he is the <laughs> he is the sheer definition. Like, put it this way: you know how the NBA logo has Jerry West? Like, the yes. journeyman quarterback logo is Josh McCown's cutout. Um, yeah, that would be a good one. Uh, you know, the, the thing about the thing about Josh is, uh, you know, he was always, and you know, Fitz Magic is sort of like that too. Is that, that you know they he can get hot, he can yes. you know, he can throw four touchdowns in the game. He also might – he's a natural gunslinger. He also might throw four interceptions in the game. I mean, that's – you know, he, he's, he's not always the most consistent quarterback, which is why he was sort of a journeyman backup. I mean, he's made a ton of money. He's been a starter a lot in his career. But, you know, for the most part, he was a guy who was either competing to start for the starting job uh, or was, uh, you know, was just the straight backup, which is what he is, you know, currently with the New York Jets. So occasionally brilliant is a box that every journeyman has to check off, right? That for whatever you have to have a brilliant time, moment. Yeah. You have to have a brilliant moment or two to sort of like, you know, laugh because then, you know, a coach or a GM can go, well, three years ago, he had this <laughs> amazing game. Yes. And that he could do that again for us if we sign him. So it's sort of, it's part of your, uh, part of like your, 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 your career ex- life expectancy is to have certain moments that last you for, to, you know, to push you forward. And for McCown in 2013, he had a bunch of them where he threw 13 touchdowns, one pick, 109 quarterback rating. And if you're familiar with QBR, it's a one to a hundred. He had an 83 that year, which is outrageously good. Like no one sustains an 83 for any long section of time. And Josh McCown was brilliant, earned himself the starting job with Tampa Bay and went one and 10 because Tampa Bay was really bad. And then he regressed back to McCowning. And what you said with him being a gunslinger, those are my favorite journeyman quarterbacks who are not just the guy who's going to come in and check down, but also a guy who's willing to be like, well, they put me in, so here it goes. And yeah, uh, might, as well go, might as well go for it. I, I think that's contagious, though. You know, he sort of always had a, a not, not really a carefree mentality, but sort of like, all right, next play up. Like, let's go get the next one mentality. You know, I think that was, there's something about that, sort of a short memory. Can I add, by the way, 2011, I, I think this is important when you talk about you know, the, the king of journeyman backups, 2010, he plays for the, the, uh, well, 2008, uh, he's playing for the Carolina Panthers mm-hmm. and uh, then 2010. So he was like out of football. Uh, he's playing for the Hartford Colonels. 2011, he's playing, he signs a one year deal with the 49ers, gets released. And not till the end of that year. And this is where Vikings fans may sort of remember him this a second time. Uh, he signs back with the Bears to back up Caleb Haney <laughs> after Jay Cutler gets hurt. All right. And what's crazy about that is the guy's basically been out of football for mm-hmm. a couple of years here. And so he's backing up. Haney gets hurt and McCown went in and blew it up and played, you know, absolutely fantastic. That's great. And uh, a lot of people thought that, you know, he should be, you know, the starter instead of Cutler, you know, not, not long after that. This is, you're talking about the Mark Tressman. Uh, Aaron Chicago and, and, you know, Cutler wasn't playing all the great McCown was, but of course, you know, Cutler had the huge contract and, 
and he got the job, and Emmacom moved on to Tampa. So in the game against the Vikings, he beat Minnesota 17-13 and only threw for 160 yards, but got the job done that day. And that's another, I mean, that's another, he checks all the boxes. He's like, he's like the uh, A.J. Green prospect level of journeyman backup quarterbacks, like A.J. Green with the size and the speed and the go up and get it and athleticism. McCown is all these things because at some point you had to have sports talk radio callers calling shows and saying our journeyman should be the franchise guy, right? Like that's every journeyman at some point has had that. And a couple more little facts for you that I think you will love. Um, So of all the time that they've been keeping the NFL combine, the most athletic quarterback. So if you take all the things that correlate to success for a quarterback, whether it's 40 time, how high they jump, all that stuff, most athletic is Cam Newton. If you're taking height into account, all that, right? Number two is Josh McCown. Incredible. Yeah, not surprising. You know, I he's a he's a very good athlete, and is his brother Luke McCown, who would all would also be on our conversation list maybe at some point. Maybe we talk about the Saints and we talk about Luke McCown, his younger brother. But yes. both those guys are great athletes. I mean, Luke, I, I I heard stories that Luke McCown. You know, sometimes these these practice facilities have a gym in them, and Luke, Luke McCown would be doing like three sixties and reverse slam dunks. Uh, an incredible athlete. I'm sure Josh has a lot of that same athleticism. So he's always had a really much stronger arm than people realize. He's got a really quick release, throws a great ball. Uh, and yeah, he's definitely a gunslinger and definitely a really good athlete. Yep. Joe Thomas called Josh McCown the best uh, basketball player that he had ever played football with. So there you go. <laughs> and uh, last one is a quote from an article on Josh McCown where he says that his uh, when he was 16 years old, his driver's license read that he was five foot four. And a coach of his said, We knew Josh was going to be a good football player if he ever grew. Wow. Five uh, foot four, 16. That's great. The Wikipedias yeah. always have gems on these guys. Well, another <laughs> well, he, one. He's got, he's, he's got an extra long Wikipedia because he was, he's been so many places. I know. Yeah. It's so a little it's longer amazing. than Coy Detmers. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, shout outs to Josh McCown for uh, an incredible backup quarterback career, and I am sure a career in the future as an NFL coach. So, all right, Sage, we will talk again after whatever happens with uh, Arizona, and then the Jets are another great team. I'm looking forward to with journeyman quarterbacks. So many, including McCown. Have a good... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, every team has a lot of them, and we we opened up Arizona, and we're like, well. I know McCown played for them. He's like the best one to play for. And the, you know, the Vikings fans, I always remember that playoff game where he threw that touchdown pass at the end and end, ended the Vikings hopes of going to the playoffs or not the playoff game, but the last game of the year and the Vikings chance of going to the playoffs. So that was sort of a dagger in the hearts of Vikings fans. So I'm, I'm glad we, I'm glad we covered Josh McCown. Now every, everyone else is sort of second best. <laughs> They're the backup to the backup. <laughs> That's right. It'd be like doing a basketball podcast and talking about Jordan. Now everything else just doesn't look the same. So, uh, <laughs> all right, Sage. Well, thank you as always for your time and thank you all for listening to the purple podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. 
Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.